Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it yeah. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars welcome to the program joining us this week from auto action the national editor or nationals editor i don't know the correct way to pronounce it gary o'brien uh statewide yeah statewide <laughs> statewide which covers basically all the state championships whether they whatever discipline they may be. And good, e- good evening to you, Craig. Yes, and you think after how many years, eight years we've been doing this show, I'd finally get your title right. But one man's oh, well, title... It has changed. <laughs> one man's title that has changed a few times as well. He's the editor-at-large of Auto Action. He writes for Fairfax and he is on a solo mission to change the way motorsport is presented on TV. Good evening, folks. <laughs> hey there, Craig. That's a big billing. <laughs> you have been on a mission for, a, particularly on a, against a show that happens to have a name similar to this very show's name. Yes, well, it should aspire to reach such heights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're right. I am on a mission because outside of the race coverage itself, the TV coverage of V8 supercars at the moment is um, little better than rubbish. I have enjoyed the bits I've seen of supercar life. The the packages that they've put together on that I thought have been quite good. You're right. I should exclude that. The two episodes we've seen so far have been good, and I think in the latest auto action I acknowledge that supercar life... Um, is what we should be aiming at, that sort of quality. But the, the rest of it, although it has improved since it started, both inside supercars and also RPM, which is not dedicated to V8s but has a large component of it, they have both improved, but they still, in my opinion, have a long way to go. Mm. Well, one thing that has got a long way to go, but perhaps is getting closer, is the calendar. We've certainly talked about this for the entire time that this show's been running, a compacted calendar. Folks, you uh, put in the Fairfax Media, or I think it first came up on the Canberra Times, lo and behold, that uh, there are moves afoot to have a summer break, or, or in this case a winter break, a la the European motorsporting season, and to get two helter-skelter halves, if you want to use a football analogy, to the season. It is about time, you're right. And according to V8 Supercars Chief Executive Officer James Warburton, that now is the plan for next year, is to compact the season both sides of a a winter break, which would be six weeks, maybe seven, um, probably most uh, all of May and, and, and into June. And um, either side of that, he wants the events to roughly be every two weeks. I don't think that's entirely possible, but I get the gist of what he's, he's aiming at, and um, that's a very laudable aim. You know, there may be three weeks between some of them, but you know, even Formula One can't get a consistent you know, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. So getting close to it, um, I mean, at the moment, pretty much after Bathurst in the calendar, we have every two weeks. You know, it's perfect. Mm. It's the front end of the calendar we need to sort out so that we don't have... 
um, huge five-week or the best part of five-week breaks like the one that we're only just about to end and there'll be another one too, um, I think, after Darwin. Um, They're just too long. Gary? That's the plan and more events to adopt what will become traditional dates. Um, Some of them already have that now, but um, part of the plan is to lock Perth into the Anzac weekend and there's a long story behind that which we can explore later, if you like. Well, we will indeed. But, Gary, I wanted to bring you into the conversation here because one thing about running more often and running under shorter periods means that you have to have a car that's affordable to have more back at the shop. We've already seen throughout the new generation cars life where drivers, Scott Pye after Darwin wasn't able to go to, my memory serves me, New Zealand. We've seen... uh, you know, the uh, second car this year from Techno Autosport having to be brought down and bought by Lucas Dumbrell to keep his operation going. So, and and, uh, perhaps Generation 2 will help this, but I doubt it. But certainly until you can have cars available and and plenty of them in the workshop, Gary, it's, it's hard to get there every two weeks and every week if you wanted to take an, a NASCAR model. Yeah, that's for sure. There's no doubt that uh, if you're going to talk about a two-week turnaround between events, you're certainly going to have to have spare spare componentry and cars kicking about the workshop. But as you said, the the price component in that is uh, phenomenal. Uh, I'm thinking more of a a three-week between uh, each race meeting would be a more manageable sort of a situation, particularly if you need backup cars and maybe even four weeks between the enduro rounds where you've got longer distance races and uh, obviously more wear and tear on your vehicles. Two weeks is important though, isn't it, folks, because you have the week leading up to it as the build-up, the week after it to give some laudance to the people who won, and if you go three weeks, then you've got an off week before you're doing your build-up again. Two weeks between each event is ideal. It may not be possible, but it shouldn't be beyond the teams to turn around cars in two weeks, honestly. The new generation cars, as has been proven, are not cheaper to maintain or rebuild anything, but they're certainly, they're certainly not cheaper um, to construct in the first place. Some of the price, some of the costs are coming down. But by next year, most or certainly more of the teams will have spare cars anyway, just in the, in the cycle of things. But two weeks is ideal. As I said before, it'll be more likely that there'll be some breaks of up to three weeks, and you, know, you can live with that. But you know, certainly from a media point of view, but not, not to diminish the public point of view, if there's a certainty that from a certain starting point to a certain stage in the middle of the year, and then after a break you come back and you know that roughly every two weeks there's going to be an event, it's a lot more manageable. I mean, it's a classic case of, you know, at the moment, the V8s, it's out of sight, out of mind. Mm. They have been, from a media sense, simply forgotten, particularly, you know, now in the midst of the early stages of the season of AFL and NRL, you know, they've just been completely forgotten by the media. Um, to a large extent in terms of ongoing coverage, and they're going to have to battle, struggle, um, to get their face back in. And as I say, you know, you've got Perth coming up. 
then a two-week break to Winton, all good, then five weeks to Darwin. Hmm. Now, while there might there is a reason, a long convoluted reason, why we ended up with a five-week break between Simmons Plains and Perth, as far as I know, there is no reason why there's a five-week break between Winton and Darwin. Well, perhaps the five-week break between Winton and Darwin was the trial of the winter break, which unfortunately got punctuated by the fact that they had to have a bigger break because uh, Western Australian Government wanted the Queensland round moved. Well, yeah, I'm not That I'm wasn't not sure communicated to I mean, you then. It's a de facto winter break, and, that's a, and I think it's a good thing, you know, it doesn't do any harm, you know, to have an official break if it's known and it gets out of, you know, deep into the football, the, the primary football code seasons. But, you know, Winton to Darwin at the moment, I see no reason why there's a five-week break officially. Whereas, yes, there's, there's a twofold reason why Perth was delayed. One was originally, as we remember in the original calendar, it was supposed to be... Um, Weekend before last, not the week, Anzac yep. weekend, the weekend before. Then suddenly the AFL put its schedule out and the local derby was on between West Coast Eagles and the uh, Fremantle Dockers. So the West Australian government said, oh, well, we can't have that. Can you move it? And apparently, according to James Warburton, the plan was then to shift it, put it back one week to the Anzac weekend, but undisclosed logistical problems. Um, got in the way of that. And that's I'll tell you why. what, you, why would you run a sporting event that is a marginal fringe sporting event on the 100th anniversary of Anzac Day? It made sense not to run one week later. You in would hindsight, get, you're probably right. Well, not in hindsight. Any, any well, fool would have no, said, don't would, run would, on Anzac weekend. Hang on, hang on, Craig. They didn't stop. AFL and NRL didn't stop just because it was the 100th anniversary of Gallipoli. No, but fact, they ramped it up. Well, yeah, I mean, but... But in fact, they have a defendable position. The biggest AFL games of the season now, second only to the grand final, is the big Anzac Day clash between um, uh, Collingwood and Essendon. Yep, and it's 21 years of that tradition. Yeah, and NRL went mad. They they had an Anzac weekend fest. They had, they had five games on the Saturday. Yeah, Yeah. they went crazy. So, no, sorry, I think we can tolerate a V8 race on the other side of the country. I, I just think this year was not the year to try and start your Anzac well, tradition. Well, it didn't happen, so... No. Well, but <laughs> anyway, and that may be part of these undisclosed logistical reasons why it didn't happen. Mm. You, know, you, you may well put your finger on But, you know, it would have made a little more sense if things had gone ahead um, as originally planned. But the plan now, according to James Warburton, is to lock in Perth from next year onwards on the Anzac weekend. And, you know, Rightly or wrongly, you know, it, that certainty will be a good thing. Yeah, and look, that and that would probably be the uh, the last race meeting before the break, would it not? Um, no, I think you come back and have Winton, and then go maybe the after Winton then, if yeah. Winton uh, stays where it is, because Darwin yeah, doesn't I, I move. Think, I think you're right, Gary. Yeah. I, I think Perth will be the. Uh, well, it, it, it's all a bit vague. When I spoke to James Warburton, he said, you know, to me that he's looking at having five, six or seven events before the winter break. So there's the possibility of them cramming a lot more in. And that would make, you know, if you if you look at a 14 championship event series, you know, up to seven makes sense and, and, and seven, seven afterwards, you know, 
they've got a long way to go, and, and events like, particularly like Winton and Phillip Island, you know, which are both sides of the, you know, nominal break at the moment, you know, some somebody has to work out when they should be run, and I would think off the top of my head that certainly Phillip Island should go back to being earlier in the season, just for weather-wise purposes, um, because it's it's if you and part of this plan too, don't forget, is to is to make Sydney two weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, around the you know the 18th to the 20th of November, so that'll with and presumably with New Zealand locked into the New Zealand date, that'll squeeze out what at the moment is well on that 18th, that third weekend in November at the moment is Phillip Island, so it's going to get squeezed. So there's going to be a lot of shuffling to do, and you know the, you know it, it, it's obvious that this is James Warburton's plan. And it's a sensible plan, but there's still a long way, way to go before it happens. But at least they're thinking about it. Oh, yeah. And I remember sitting at a press conference with uh, Tony Cochran and Wayne Kadich when I said, what happened to every two weeks when you've launched this calendar? And they said, well, that was our plan too. We need to oh, take... I mean, it's, it's been the holy grail forever yeah. of V8 supercars. But anyway... We need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Don't forget, you can hear Inside Supercars on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. You can download the free app today. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is the award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover over 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. Create a custom playlist. Run over 20,000 shows to discover, and uh, you can hear them all in your car because it's now synced to a lot of the new cars out there. The Stitcher app, you don't have it, go download it free today at stitcher.com.au or you'll find it in the App Store. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Gary O'Brien and Mark Rogerty. Penny Perth this weekend. Finally, the racing drought is going to break. And interesting, Gary, that Shane Van Gisbergen is going to run the current chassis. The brand new chassis sits in the garage a little bit longer. Yeah, well, I think they've they've got a real handle on this car at the moment, so they're probably a little bit reluctant to uh, to uh, push it aside. And uh, given that they've come up to Probably the two meetings where they need to show improvement over last year, that makes perfect sense. It's interesting that you know, there, there's a lot of talk about Van Gisbergen, his schedule. He's the one driver who certainly has kept his hand in over this long break, Gary. Obviously, he's not afraid to put on a new chassis. It's just the team wants that security. Yeah, well, um, I, that's what I was, I was seeing. You know, they'd be particularly, uh, you know, where he can use his soft tyre. The car's really good on the soft tyre. He's um, stated that publicly. And as you said, he's kept his hand in by doing his drifting and he's had a, um, a, a run overseas as well. Um, 
and I guess he'll probably line up for the 101 at um, Phillip Island towards the end of the month, yep. next month. Now, folks, I don't know if you want to speak about Van Gisbergen, but Ambrose is an interesting one. Scott Pye still in the car for Perth, and he didn't jump in the car on the test day. Well, SVG, it's simply a matter of don't mess with success. (laughs) Doing fine with the car he's got. They um, had problems last year at Simmons Plains and Barbagallo Raceway, that was Techno's bogey track. They were Techno's bogey tracks. From memory, it was they, a rear-end problem that they found a problem in the suspension setup on the back end. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. oily bits, yeah. yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah whatever. Let's whatever. not get too tight. Yeah, let's not get too But anyway, made an improvement at Simmons, so, you know, confident of improvement in Barbagallo, so go with what they know, which is what Gary was saying, you know, that chassis is proven. Um, no lack of pace, so until something changes, they don't really need a new car. So um, doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all. Makes sense. I mean, the, the kid's on fire, you know. And as long as he keeps his head, um, he's um, got a good chance of uh, giving Win Cup fits, which is good. <laughs> we like to see that. And as for Ambrose, well, uh, honestly, it just it goes on and on and on, really. It's a saga that never ends. It's 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 a soap opera, but you know, without the interest, really. <laughs> well, you know, come on. He's either going to drive or he's not. So, you know, leave it alone. You know, they had the test in Queensland. He was standing around all day. They decided they were making gains and learning things, so he didn't get in the car. Fine. He's not going to race in Perth. We know that. We didn't think he was. He'll do a ride day afterwards. And then it's presumably up for a review. But, you know, honestly, it's just not looking like he's going to get back in the car until and unless they make some huge gain with Scott Pye behind the wheel. And then you'd have to think, well, you know, (laughs) why mess with it? Leave it alone. So, you know, enduros is when we'll see him back and where it goes from there. Nobody knows. But. I mean, the whole thing is just a, a rolling drama that we could do without, I think. Mm. Of course, Gary, the, the interesting thing is they had a rolling sponsorship program which was predicated on Marcus Ambrose, the returning NASCAR star, being in the car. Yeah, well, like Mark, I'm, I'm a bit at loss to explain any of this. Uh, you know, given that the test day was all about having Ambrose in the car, that was a prelude to it all. And then we find out he didn't jump in at all. So And... and the fact that your sponsorships marketed around him rather than Scotty Pie, it is a it's a bit of a mindset I haven't got my head around. Well, yeah, don't worry, something's going to give, something's going to break after this weekend in Perth. Roger Penske's coming over; he's making a lightning visit to this round. Something will happen. Mm. Something decisive. Yes. Well, we know that there's uh, other licenses up for grabs, don't we? So. It'll be interesting to see how everything pans out. Why? You don't well, have a license? Well, you can run a wild card every event. You just need to apply yeah. for it. No, but Penske have a license. They're just not using it. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Superblack's get... using it at the moment. It'll, it'll they go can't back get that, that back. They can't get it'll that back this year. They'll go back to that team next year. Yeah, yeah, they can't get it back this, time, this year, though. No, but mm. they don't need it. Mm. 
Erebus now has updates on both cars. Gary, will they be able to maintain the rage that Davison had in Tassie? <laughs> the rage, what, on the track or in the pits? <laughs> after, after being uh, turned around by James Courtney. Um, certainly showed some more speed and the car uh, has more drivability. I think the big problem there with people that have not that have driven other V8 in the series um, have found that these cars are almost like a turbo in their power delivery, that you get nothing at certain revs and all of a sudden you get this hit. And I think uh, Greg Murphy showed that up a bit when he uh, had a drive of uh, Will's car at uh, Simmons Plain. So if they can get that that uh, engine more drivable, then um, I think the rest of it all sort of fall into place. Mm, it's... We talk about rolling sponsorships, and that's obviously a drama for that team because they're trying to spend money developing, and they've not got the support of uh, a lot of corporate support on the cars to help fund it, uh, folks. No, they haven't, and understandably because they've just not had the form, much less the results, to justify permanent backing. Um, I think they have a permanent title sponsor for Will's car, at least, in that and I should know the name, Solar. I, but I don't. Solar something. Solar Australia. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, think... Mr. Solar Australia, <laughs> whoever. But anyway, yeah. But that team's... Uh, I mean, they've got to do something. It cannot continue the way it is. They're into their third season. They've had one win, and they're just not getting anywhere, and the money is not being spent anymore in the amounts that it used to be. Um, even Betty Clemenko has had to pull the financial reins in. So while there have been some promising moments, um, particularly at Simmons Plains, um, the long-term outlook is still really, really tough for that team. And unfortunately, it's, it's just a case of they've got to get up and do something. Or by the end of this year, you, you just have to question even more than ever what is the point of the whole exercise yeah it's, it's a tough one and of course they've made the announcement it's the the body shell on the car is going to remain until something comes from the uh, clouds to replace it and there's yeah, but who? No, who uh, what uh, other manufacturer is going to come along you know, well, that's why I said fall out the of the whole, sky, the whole, folks. You know, I'm not, you know, the, the whole team, you know, they're dedicated and they're putting in the effort. You know, I'm not diminishing what they're trying to achieve, but it's just not getting there. So why would another manufacturer come along and suddenly say, oh, yeah, Erebus, they're the ones we want to go, go with? Yep, and then that's the problem for every team that's not uh, in the front two or three. That's the... That's the, uh, you know, we see it in Formula One. If you're not up the front, then you don't get to the front unless you find a big benefactor who will uh, put you there. Exactly. And that's Mm. the harsh reality of the sport. Mm. A break and then more on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Gary O'Brien, Mark Fogarty, both from action. Of course, Fogues does a bit of riding for Fairfax as well. New... A bit. A bit. <laughs> a bit. A bit. Thanks. Probably not as much as you uh, would like, but that's a bit. It comes and goes, don't mm. worry. Hopefully it'll be busier now there's more racing on. New tyre monitoring rules kick off in Perth. Now, we had tyre monitors on the cars years ago. What the really? heck? Yes, we did. Really? When? Bleed-off valves and uh, monitors. Oh. Why has it taken it so long to get them it back on the car? I, I remember the bleed-off valves. So I don't remember the tyre monitor. Mm. The pressure sensors they had. Oh, yeah. I'm saying tyre uh, monitors now that you're right, yeah, Gary, they were 90, pressure sensors. Yeah. Back in the 1990s, they had them, but they were deemed to be too expensive, so they uh, they they killed it off. And obviously now with most other categories around the world using these uh, monitoring systems, that, and they're probably a bit cheaper now than what they were in those innovative days, is why they've probably uh, have gone that way. And particularly now that they've got to have these minimum uh, tyre pressures, and that's a good way to gauge that on the fly, I guess. I could yeah. never understand why the... Sorry, I wasn't here in the 90s, so forgive me. Mm. I hadn't realised that. Yeah. But th- this is all very interesting. Th- this has all come up, and I don't think it's a coincidence, since the controversy in NASCAR about them drilling the teeny-weeny tiny holes in the tyres to let them bleed off. And As there's been suggestions yeah. that this has been happening in V8 supercars as well, and... and I think it's more than a coincidence. Suddenly, they've introduced this uh, pressure monitor around the same time. I was wondering if maybe uh, someone got the right exclusive distributorship rights and all of a sudden they came back into the sport. Mm. You don't think it's a coincidence? Craig, you're a NASCAR aficionado. You you don't think it's a coincidence? Uh, When things happen... Regularly, I struggle to see coincidence. Mm. I see a bigger plan. Anyway, it, I just thought uh, I'd throw, throw that out. No, there. no, it's, it's, a, it's this, a valid observation. Apparently, it's been going on for ages, mm-hmm. and it was only relatively recently that they cracked down. And when you think about it, you know, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Drill minuscule holes in the tyres so that they bleed off. When they get um, that, as the, the pressure, pressure builds, yep. but very slowly and very controllably. Yeah, that's what so you were saying. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. You know, as a, as the heat heat expands the tire, it can just let the pressure out a little bit. And given that they make so many tire stops during the race, and you can control your your whole tire pressure situation, as you said. And this, uh, what they're doing over there, is predicated on a different set of parameters too. They they know they're going left every corner. They know, that, and they've got a lot better data on build-up. And I think uh, you can you can run those risks a bit closer to the edge 
on that on their system than you could on ours. But I'm certainly not going to rule out that it wasn't happening. No. Oh, anyway, I'm not going to. But I'm, I'm suspicious. My but my suspicious. It, mind. Overall, it seems to be a good thing because with the tyre pressure monitors, onboard tyre pressure monitors, presumably it will um, will have fewer incidences. Not you can't eradicate it totally, but fewer incidences. Like we had in Adelaide where, you know, we had a tyre suddenly deflate on Jamie Wincup's car and he nearly had the mother and father of all crashes at Turn 8, having picked up some debris from the lap before from from Caruso's accident. So if it guards against things like that, I I can't see any downside. The only thing that worries me a little bit is about um, with the information that they have while the race is on, that they can actually um, gauge their tyre pressures while they're running and, and adjust accordingly. I don't have... I, I, I dare say that someone will try something at some stage. Yeah, I, it comes to information overload, though. It's it's how many people... Like, uh, Lucas Dumbrell said, you want to save money in motorsport? Get rid of the second data engineer off every car. He said, that'll save you. Well, in V2 because that'll save you a heap of money. More so than cutting tyres and the rest of it. Well, that's part of it much bigger picture of what cost savings we should be chasing and what cost savings we shouldn't be because it's um, prejudicing the, the bigger show. You know, it, it's the whole argument of the, the limits on on tyre allocation and certainly the limits on testing. You know, it's saving hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in, in an environment that runs at multi-millions, you know. Yes. <laughs> is it really cost-effective, you know? And the argument at the moment is they've gone too far because um, it's affecting the show. We need, we do need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Mark Fogarty and Gary O'Brien. And uh, folks, I, I think we've done the Perth Anzac round to death. Can we skip over that topic? Well, I don't know if we've done it to death, but suffice to say that the plan is for Perth to become, um, you know, to lock in on the Anzac Day weekend from next year. And that's probably a, can't be a bad thing, so it's probably a good thing. So, yeah, that's it. The more and more you say that Adelaide is the first, well, the second weekend in, what is it, March, Bathurst is the first, uh, second long weekend in, uh, second weekend in October, and so on and so forth is a good thing. When you yeah, know. They're that, locked in. Yeah. And you're right, you know, Adelaide is locked in as the opening, you know, in the foreseeable future, it's part of the contract. Mm. It's locked in as the opening event of V8 Supercars. Until you put a super test and call it an event. At the very end of February, or I think you'll find if you look at Next year, it's probably more likely, you know, it'll be the first weekend of March, slightly later. But, you know, just depending on where February falls, as it were, in the 
calendar, you know, that's where we start, where the super test is before it, whether it's two or three weeks ahead, and whether it clashes with Bathurst 12 hour is a nightmare that we'll address later in the season. <laughs> but yes, we've already got events fixed um, in the calendar that have a traditional um, slots in, in the schedule. And if we can have more of those that we, where there's more certainty for, for the fans the better it is, I think. Mm. And it's all predicated on a consistent management structure at the supercars because uh, the next boss comes in and he'll want to do it differently. Enduro announcements. Sebastian Bourdais coming back to running V8 supercars, this time to partner Lee Holsworth. I know I ran a story earlier in the year after um, after Clipsal that uh, EJ Viso was sniffing around the uh, Charlie... Schwerkolk car to try and get in there, but well, I got a half right. It was a IndyCar driver anyway. Yeah, but Cobra got a better one now. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, gee, that's hard. Uh, I've got a lot of time for Sebastian Bourdais as a driver, no matter what he gets into. And I think what he's done with Wind Cup in the past, in two seasons, 2011, 2012, has been pretty, pretty awesome. And even when he first came here in 10 and drove with um, uh, John O. Webb, I think it was back then, and uh, brought out here by Adrian Burgess, and obviously that connection's still there, and I think it's great. I'm looking forward to seeing him race on Mount Panorama. It's going to be interesting, folks. You'll enjoy that. He's good. Bordet's adaptable. He's versatile for um, Walkinshaw Racing and for Charlie Schwerkolt. He's a good pickup. Jack LeBrock to join Ash Walsh. That's uh, no real surprise there. LeBrock's in the, what is it, uh, Erebus Academy. So yeah. it was just a matter of time before he got into the uh, main game seat for the Enduros. Yeah, he follows in the path of his co-driver, actually, or the guy he's jumping in with in uh, Ash Walsh. Two years ago, he was a, uh, the, the novice that went into a DJR ride, and now uh, LeBrock follows the same sort of path, and he's driven powerful cars, he's been in the GT Championship and he's done a few things, yeah I think he'll, and he's done obviously the development series, yeah you know, good. got to start somewhere and why not there Some say he's a star of the future, Jack LeBrock Well, Erebus are, are certainly putting yeah. a lot of investment. I don't know, into Gary you, you've, you've seen a lot more of um, yeah, LeBrock than I have I, 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 I think he's. I don't know if he's as. Uh, I seen him race with Richard Musket last year at uh, mm. Phillip Island. I didn't think he was as good as Richard then, but um, he's had probably more time in V8 since that time. Um, so you know, you learn as you go. And um, I think um, one of the. Uh, uh, what am I going to say? One of the uh, guys that have really come on gangbusters since uh, getting into a V8 has been Owen Heimgartner, and I think uh, LeBrock could pretty well follow his footsteps. Mm. It'll it'll be interesting to see how he goes, and uh, obviously he's going to get some testing in before then, so that'll be a, a bit of an indicator, albeit on tyres that, as Alan Jones once said to um, Frank Williams, I wouldn't put on the side of my dock to stop the boat bouncing into the... <laughs> yeah, all part of the bigger problem. Mm. We Look, we, we should mark, folks, I know... It would upset you if I didn't let you have your say. The 100th round of the Dunlop Series this weekend. 
I am excited. Mm. You, you've made one or two press conferences over the 100 rounds. More to I one than two. Were, they were excited too. <laughs> now, do you think, has the series achieved a, a true second tier for V8 supercars or do you think the series is still a dumping ground for the old cars? Um, same thing, isn't it? <laughs> really? <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, I'm a harsh critic of the development series. If you look back through its history, it really hasn't produced, you know, it hasn't been, a, you know, an ongoing production line of, of young stars. It has produced some, yes. Mark Winterbottom is one of the notables. But, you know, in 2012 stood out. You know, I mean, the class of 2012 are the next generation stars of V8 supercars. So in that year, um, it did a humdinger of a job. Um, but it just, it it needs something. It lacks something. I would like it to see it be like the NASCAR Xfinity series where, you know, the V8 supercar main game stars would can and often do make appearances as a, as a measuring stick. And also, what I am excited about is that from next year, the new gener- generation cars will be eligible. So it'll be a much more direct comparison, which it's not at the moment, not at all, um, between the development series and the main game. And it'll also introduce some sort of varieties because, you know, teams like Gary Rogers Motorsport, you know, they might have a spare Volvo around, um, even Erebus and Nissan will have, you know, cars that conceivably they might want to sell. So we'll get some variety into the Dunlop series from next year, well, they'll be eligible from next year. I think they're going to mix and match, which will be interesting. Um, bottom line is, we'll see more theoretically see more makes in the Dunlop series next year, including and and that will include, of course, you know, VF Commodores and FGX Falcons. So it might liven up a bit, and it, and it will certainly do it no harm that it will become more of a direct comparison because since new generation cars or car of the future came in a direct comparison between the Dunlop series cars and the main game cars has drifted apart. Mm. Gary, uh, you, of course, uh, remember the 2012 standout season, and it should be quite plain that in that 2012 season, not only did we have three or four, in fact, very, very good drivers in that series, but they all had good equipment because it was the first year that everyone got rid of their main game cars at the same time. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting you should say that because that now leads that anyone that has a uh, current V8 supercar for next year in car of the, the current future or however you want to call it will have um, probably have a bit of an advantage over the guys that are running there in, currently in the current machinery because, like, A, they're different uh, to start with and there's other things that they'll have to parry out at some stage to um, try and at least give the older cars a chance to um, to stick with these ones. Given that, you know, you look at their, their lap times, they're not that different, uh, but the newer cars seem to be quicker in the newer hands, and there's no doubt that there's some talent there that'll, um, that'll be up to the task of pedalling one of those cars around quicker than the current cars. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting one, and, uh, well, I know that uh, it has been interesting with uh, Paul Dumbrell having won the championship so many times. He's back up again this year, and the attitude of the other dr- younger drivers going, well, at least we've now got a 
main game driver who's won things that we can benchmark ourselves to. And yeah, well, there's no doubt that uh, guys like Cam Waters, who's shown already that he's he can be as quick as Paul, if, if not quicker, and, um, you know, can out-qualify him and, and race with him, that um, he's certainly in with a good chance of... Uh, uh, that benchmarking being Paul Dumbrell at the moment, there's no doubt that he's he's quick in both V8 supercars or in the development series. That it's a it's a good yardstick for where he'll move to in the future. Mm. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Dumbrell is a part timer. He's still he's quick. Duro driver. <laughs> still quick. Yeah. Well, that would worry me. What does that tell you? Hey. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, you know, he's quicker, mate. You, 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 you see his times in the um, in the enduros. He's as quick as any of them out there as well. One-offs, maybe. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things where... And, and that's not a criticism as such. I mean, it's just, you know, it's the nature of the beast. You know, he's, he's a businessman these days. And I think the fact that he's running the Dunlop Series this year full-time... Um, Actually, it might be again. Did he run it full-time last year? Yes, he did. Yeah. Well, the fact that Triple Eight would have a hand in this and have encouraged him, shall we say... That is correct. ...to run the Dunlop series tells you a lot, doesn't it? And it's exactly what you... He needed to keep his hand in. Otherwise, he would, you know, the the game is so high now that if he turned up at Sandown and Bathurst, you know, he'd be stale as... Is weak old bread. We do. You worry. You, you have been worrying about a lot lately. I, I'm very concerned, folks. But we'll let you catch your breath and a final thought on Inside Supercars after this. Thank you, Craig. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lap the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to grab, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought, Gary O'Brien. Uh, Perth this weekend, uh, I think we're talking about as far as who will win, and you've got to say that the uh, uh, Winter, uh, Winter Bottom and Mustard must go there as a pre-race favourite, given their form there last year. I just The only thing that worries me is, though, they've got a, a better handling car or better car over the distance this year, is it, will it be detrimental to their performance in Perth, given that it was probably their strongest round last year? <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how that does uh, pan out. Fogues. Gary made a good point about Pro Drive Racing Australia. Could be a bit of a dilemma for them, but the young bloke who's got to get up and start asserting himself again is Scott McLaughlin. The Volvo program's been a bit of a debacle so far. They've had, um, a new, well, extraordinary unreliability. And I say extraordinary because it's their second season. They've had the sort of breakdowns that you'd expect in their first season, which didn't happen, but it has happened. Um, and he hasn't had the, the sheer race-killing pace um, that he had at this stage last year. So... 
um, he and the team need to get their act together and start imposing themselves, um, otherwise it's going to be too late. And I say too late because, like many people, I thought Scott McLaughlin would be a genuine challenger to Jamie Wincup and others, including Shane Van Gisbergen, Van Gisbergen for the championship, but um, it's um, set to slip away from them very quickly if they don't reassert themselves in Perth. Mm, that's a, an interesting point too because while Scott McLaughlin didn't have many mechanical failures last year, his teammate had a had a few. Is it a case that now he's the one that's uh, breaking the car, whereas Robert was last year? Um, good question. I don't know the answer, but I wouldn't have thought that Dahlgren was pushing the car hard enough to... <laughs> <laughs> to, to, break, to break it last year, so that, that's a bit of a puzzler. Um, but no, it, it's um, things are catching up with them, mm. and um, clearly the Volvo doesn't have the aero advantage anymore that it had last year, and mm. uh, or even the horsepower advantage. But it certainly doesn't have the aero advantage. Um, the tweaks they made, um, certainly to the Commodore and to the Falcon, and to a lesser extent, lesser extent the Nissan. Um, in the off-season seem to have um, reduced the Volvo's advantage and that's why I say it's, you know, he and the team have to get their act together and in total uh, and just reimpose themselves because, I mean, you know, just look back last year, he was fantastic, you mm. know. An unheralded car with a slightly unheralded driver um, getting in there, winning, what, four races and equaling Wind Cup's 10 poles and contending, um, it was extraordinary and exceptional and, and exciting. Um, none of those E's apply at the moment. I would use, and to finish off on a, an Americanism, NASCAR reference, if you like, where we were earlier in the show, they're suffering that dreaded sophomore slump. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Uh, my thanks to Gary O'Brien. Thank you. And, of course, to Fogues. A pleasure. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.